Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this week we are talking about season four, episode 25, A Bunch of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking. Is that a reference to four Jews in a room bitching? Uh, it might be. It makes more sense than anything. Uh, no, but it's actually a reference to a uh, Loudon Wainwright play, I believe, of all things. Yeah, it's just called A Couple of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking. It's a lighter-than-air comedy. Hmm. It's an off-Broadway hit that starts Susan Sarandon. It can be played by actresses from 20 to 50. Did you say that the the name of the person who wrote the play was Loudon? Yeah, Loudon. Didn't we go to a high school with a Loudon? We did, but this Loudon is related to Loudon Wainwright. Oh. Or, I mean, it is Loudon Wainwright. He's related to R- Rufus Wainwright, I There presume. we go. Maybe you should check that. I can't imagine there's that many Loudon Wainwrights out there. Here, not a couple. We don't fact check. <laughs> I mean, we don't fact check when the person's name is Loudon Wainwright. I just mean you're going to look awfully foolish if he's not related to Rufus. It's the only Loudon Wainwright. Actually, that's not true. It's Loudon Wainwright the third, which implies that he is the third so, Wainwright. So you are incorrect. He is, in fact, the third Loudon Wainwright. Right, but he's the only important Loudon Wayne. Oh my god, we have to move on because I can't say this man's goddamn name. He's related to Rufus Wainwright. Woofus. Woofus Way White. Woofus Way White. is a wow gay man. <laughs> and we are moving on. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the episode description before I drop any more R's. No paws. Paws. All right, this week's episode. Uh, when Will hears his biological clock ticking, he shocks Grace by asking her to become the mother of his baby. But when they meet with a therapist, Grace reveals that she's uneasy about the necessary sacrifices and makes a startling revelation. Inspired by Will's Seize the Day quest, Jack and Karen are also moved to pursue their goals. For him, it's auditioning for a legitimate Broadway production. For her, it's visiting her imprisoned husband for a dreaded conjugal visit. Okay, before we go any further, I just really want it stated for the record, there are no conjugal visits in Federal. Oh my god! Literally, I heard Tess say nothing but this during the entire episode. Like, there's no conjugal visits in federal. Tess's big like takeaways from this episode are like, "Wow, these characters are making bad decisions." There's no conjugal visits in federal, and there's no conjugal visits in federal. It was two of her three takeaways. <laughs> but there aren't. Let's move on. Thank God there aren't, because I would not want to have to pretend like we were having a conjugal visit. After you end up in federal prison for the murder I frame you for. Who are you murdering? I don't know. I just mean, like, if you're framing me, that assumes that I'm alive and you're alive. So who's being murdered? I don't know. I mean, like, I someone that you would murder. I feel like you should really hammer out the details of who's getting murdered. I don't like to start with who's getting murdered. I, I mean, start that seems with... like a pretty integral part of the plan. I mean, that's kind of, like, non-essential, though. Cause, like, you can't have, like, an abstract murder. If you want it to be premeditated, you have to premeditate the murder. I think you're really undervaluing the number of people that I can conceivably consider you having premeditated intentions of murdering. You're really, like, underselling yourself in that regard. That's probably true. But nonetheless, I'd still like to know who it is. All right. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to start with the non-Will and Grace plots, I think. Yes. Because they're all kind of the same theme. Yes. Um, there's a real sense of, like, all the characters are, for one reason or another, just really dealing with, like, mortality and I mean, the, life and yeah. seize the day and, you the know. The whole thing starts with some dead guy's wine. Right. 
Right, that's right. That is how it starts. Which is a kind of weird way to start off the Seize the Day plotline. Right. Well, the idea is that, like, Will ends up getting this wine from a guy who was saving it with his wife for a special occasion. And then he died. But then he died, yeah. So there was no special occasion. No, see, that's the occasion where I would drink the wine, but I could see where the wife wouldn't want to. Yeah. Um, so Don't know why the wife would just give it to a random ass neighbor. Yeah, I, who knows? So they said they're going to save it for a, like, important occasion. And then immediately open it. Right, of course. Like, Grace <laughs> already has it open before, like... Will has made... Come around to that right, right. situation. Um, but it's kind of a springboard for them, because then, like, everyone kind of is like, you know, how could I seize the day? Like, it says uh-huh. in the description. Um, and that takes really different forms for everyone, um, as we'll get to later. For Will, it is, I want a baby now. Mm-hmm. Um, for other characters, for Karen, it's not really that essential. Like, it's... It's, I'm going to have a conjugal visit with my husband, which, frankly, I thought we'd already done. She's had some problems actually visiting him before, but I think, in general, when you're in prison and there are opportunities for conjugal visits, you do have to build up some goodwill and good behavior before you're granted those. Yeah. Well, and the sense kind of is that, you know, for some of the characters, this episode is about fulfilling, like, dreams that they have. Whereas for Karen, it's like, I've been putting off this thing that I have to do, and I should just bite the bullet and do it. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a weird tone to set for the episode. It is. But yeah, so Karen's conjugal visit kind of goes pretty terribly. And it works for the overall show because, you know, of the fact that we never see Stan. So, Mm -hmm. like, they had to find some way to get her out of fucking him on camera. (laughs) Um, Also, it's a network show, so they had to find some way of getting her out of fucking him on camera. Yeah, that too. Um, But the way they go about it is actually really sad for Karen. I, like, felt terribly for her. I really did, too. Um, like, there's this big buildup, and, like, we get some, like, fake obstacles. Like, oh, Karen doesn't know how she's going to turn Stan on. But don't worry, she's got salami. Right. And, like, then there's a weird, like, camera just, watching them. Yeah, and Karen's like, oh, my God, this camera's going to watch us have sex. And then she's like, actually, that kind of turns me on. Right. Like, we have all these false obstacles, and then we have, like, the actual problem, which is that, like... Stan isn't coming yeah. because he got busted for insider trading again. Yeah, he got busted for insider trading from the library in prison. Which is kind of impressive. I think, like, there are certain crimes where, like, if you pull them off with enough panache, like, you should get, like, time served for good behavior. <laughs> like, if you can just impress the judge, yeah. like, you should just like, get to wow, go Like, wow, like, your crime definitely hurt people, but, like, I'm still giving you, like, five less years. Right. But... So then Karen is, like, understandably crushed because she, like, went out of her way and, like, really, like, committed to doing this because she wanted mm-hmm. to be there for her husband and she misses him. And yeah. it's just really sad to see her being like, I don't know if I can live with this because the way she, like, explained it was, like, he's been gone for, like, five months at this mm-hmm. point and she, she was operating on the assumption that soon he'd be coming home. Right. But now that he's got another charge to his name, mm-hmm. it might be a longer time. Well, this is actually kind of an opportune moment for me to say that when thing that I think goes against Will and Grace Gospel. I actually don't think that Karen and Stan's dynamic works. Like, not, like, in a, like, a universe level. Like, it doesn't work Mm -hmm. in a universe level either. I just, I think, while the conceit of we never see Stan is clever, it is very hard for us to believe that Karen is simultaneously this, like, kind of crude, dismissive person who doesn't really love her husband and married him for his money but also, like, has these deep feelings for him that come out when she's yeah really at an emotional crossroads. Exactly. It is kind of hard to buy into the idea that she loves a man deeply who is also, as far as we are aware, very unattractive, mm-hmm. very, like, obese, like, unhealthy. And so it's kind of hard to buy simultaneously that she's this crass, like, gold digger, mm-hmm. but also someone who is genuinely hurt. 
by his absence. Yeah, and I I think the show is really going for the idea that that's all a front, you know, like, she's just a socialite, she's supposed to say these things, because, like, haha, how could she love her fat husband? But, like... Because fat people aren't lovable. Right. But the show doesn't do enough to sell that, because you never see Stan. You know, we never... We never see this character, we never have any interaction with him, and so we're just kind of going off of whatever we get from the um, conversations that Grace, or that Karen has with other people. Mm -hmm. And I just... I have never really been sold on that. And this episode is just kind of a really prime example, you know? Like, it relies on a... It relies on Karen deciding, or at least thinking about deciding, not to be with Stan. Mm -hmm. And we have no real reason to see why that would be a problem for her. Right. I mean, like, even in the Thanksgiving episode this year, we saw her make out with... with Nick Offerman mm-hmm. because Stan is like, I don't know if I can ask you to be faithful. And so right. like, we've kind of already done that song and dance a little mm-hmm. bit. So it, it's sort of weird to see Karen be so crushed by this right? because she's already entertained and dismissed the idea of not being right. with him. So yeah. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. But that's really all I have to say about that plot line. Cause mm-hmm. it's kind of left on a cliffhanger. Yeah. A don't... lot. All the plots I think really are left on a cliffhanger this week. Yeah. Um, Including Jax. I think Jax is the one that has the most finality. Oh my god. Jax was sort of like, you know that really sad monologue from a chorus line with the gay kid who just talks about how he was like convinced to drop out of school at 15. Like that's the sort of level we're working with with Jax audition here. Yeah. So Jax somehow manages to get like a Broadway cattle call audition, which like I'm pretty sure still isn't really a thing. Like I think you have to be at least a little famous to get one of those. But anyways, Mm. um... I don't know. This was 20 years ago. Who knows? Right, right, right. So the idea basically is that he's just like, he's having his moment and he like basically is charismatic enough that he convinces the casting director to not let him go. And then he's like acting, but like really bad because he's a bad actor. Yeah. But the the twist, which is a clever twist, is that he figures it out. Yeah. Like he has kind of like his own sort of soliloquy, which he realizes that he's not good at this. Mm -hmm. Like he isn't a great singer. He's not a super talented dancer. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to him trying to read the lines on the page, it just, the delivery is flat and wrong a right. lot of the time. And he notices. Yeah. And there's this like whole thing with like the red light on stage and it's mm-hmm. like really heartbreaking. And yeah. And I think, I don't know where this plot is going at all because for all of its, uh, going back to its roots, the revival has been kind of mute on what Jack is really doing, other than, like, he's just kind of doing the same old, same old. Yeah, he's got that, like, uh, he's teaching, like, kids after school thing. Yeah, but, so I don't really have a good sense of where his trajectory is going, but I actually wouldn't be super opposed to him being a little less Broadway-minded, if only because we've never seen Jack excel in that regard. Mm-hmm. You could argue he's not bad at his cabaret act. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely the yeah, as best when he's always playing like gay roles, and you you know what I mean. Like, right? He's an actor who has a really specific set of skills, and he's not super great even with those skills, right? Um, but he's never going to be a Broadway actor. No, it's just not the sort of thing that he is like built for. Mm-hmm. And especially at the time that this is taking place, it's like the early two thousands. Roles aren't being written for people for actors like Jack, right? Like, like Jack's best chance is to be in the chorus. Yeah, and even a lot of chorus line characters, right? Not literally in a chorus line, but, you know, characters who are in a chorus line. Yeah. I just, I don't know where his 
going because I don't feel confident that the show would commit to a plot line that is very like Jack gives up trying to be on Broadway. Right. But it feels like they're going in that direction and I don't know what that means for the character. And the thing is that um, the Will and Grace plot lines at these last couple episodes of season four are so dominant that I genuinely don't remember. Mm -hmm. It is entirely possible that in the next episode Jack don't give a shit about this anymore but it's also possible this is like an emotional thing that carries through the finale. I don't remember. Well and I think we're gonna have to talk about this a little bit more next week when we talk about the finale episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is kind of the transition period for Will and Grace where, you know, uh, David Cohen and Max Muchnick don't come back for season five. Yeah. Um, and I, not having seen any of those episodes, don't know how much the show changes. But I do know from watching the revival that there must be some pivot point where it shifts a little bit from this kind of show to that kind of show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that makes me wonder, I, I could see it going either way. Either the show tries to reinvent Jack or the show ignores all of the development of this bit, and Jack is just still trying to be a star. Yeah, and I don't remember, so we'll both be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's not really much else there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a cliffhanger, but it also is a cliffhanger because it's very open-ended. Yeah, it's just emotionally not satisfying. We mm-hmm. don't have like a, cl- a piece of closure from this episode. Yes, there is no closure in this episode, but especially in Jack's part line. Okay. So. Should we hold hands as we, about, as we prepare to delve into the last <sighs> bit? I I just, I feel like I need so much alcohol for this. Do you want to say a serenity prayer? No, I've already (laughs) said it eight times before this episode started. (laughs) So Uh, this Will and Grace plotline continues the ongoing thread of Will and Grace thinking about having a kid. mm -hmm. Um, And we get a little bit in the the teaser as we discussed. Um, The interesting thing that this episode does, which is I think a smart narrative convention, is it plants Will and Grace in... Their couple's therapy office, Mm -hmm. where they have a really bad therapist, but, like, they get to basically talk to each other. Yeah, and so, basically, the the setup we get with them walking into this therapist's office is Will has decided he wants to have a baby, and he wants Mm -hmm. to have it with Grace, and he wants to do it now. Right. And Grace isn't so sure about that. Right. And so, when we go into the office, Will is basically trying to, like, get her to buy in on this idea. Mm -hmm. And Grace is being really not forthcoming about what her concerns are. Yeah. And I do think that the therapist's office is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's a kind of a classic sitcom ploy to get characters to tell each other how they really feel. Mm-hmm. Um, because we- as we all know, we're so emotionally stunted all the time that we have to have this like therapist as an excuse to tell our feelings to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very, very pro-therapy, and in general, I think if anyone is about to embark on the potential for parenthood, it is a good idea to check in with a mental health care professional <laughs> to be like, are we prepared for this, and how do we get prepared Hashtag, for this? are you too crazy for children? Yes. Some people are. Some people definitely are. Um, you don't get the sense that Will and Grace are. No. You get the sense that both of them independently would be good parents. Mm -hmm. And that both of them want kids, and both of them are willing to take the time necessary to figure out how to raise those kids and how to do the best job with them. Right. But the thing that we're kind of seeing as like a a bit of a tension between the two of them is Will has this really romantic idea as to what them Mm co-parenting would look like. And it sort of, to me, seems like it's kind of like his fallback in case he doesn't find the right guy, which he never says explicitly. I, I would actually disagree with you. I think it, I think that's the reason why Grace is kind of caught flat-footed this week, because I thought it was really obvious that it was their backup plan. Right. Well, I think that's the thing, is I think at some point, Will and Grace were initially both pro, this is our backup plan. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the line, Will decided that this was the... This was plan A. Right. This is no longer plan B. 
Well, and I think one element that they talk about later in the episode is that, like, Grace kind of accuses Will of, like, giving up too soon. Because mm-hmm. she's, she's like, when was the last time you had a serious relationship? Right. And he kind of, like, bounces back after his criticism of, like, he, he's basically like, oh, you have this guy, this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and nothing panned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see that kind of cutting both ways. Because, like, yes, Grace is trying, and she's failing, but she's trying. So I understand right. how that feels different for Will. But on the other hand, like, for Will, like, he hasn't had a serious relationship in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to be kind of in that rut and feel like, okay, like, but when is it going to happen, you know? Right. It almost, for Will, seems like he's just decided that it would be easier to have a baby with Grace now yes. than try to spend the time and effort to attempt to find a partner to have a child with. Right. Um, and that's, I, I get that feeling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you get to a certain age and you... Well, presumably, I don't think we're quite there yet, although I think we're rapidly approaching. But, like, you realize that, like, you can still have the thing you want, but it will be different than you originally wanted it. You know, like, if we'd met the right person and had kids independently five years ago, we would be ten years younger than either of us can realistically see ourselves being having kids now. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. The the thing is, it's just, it seems like both of them are approaching this from a place of just, like, kind of defeat, almost. Yes. Where they don't really see, like, options to, like, have the dream situations. So they're building up this, like, this sec- this safety plan, basically. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, because I, I like that way of envisioning it. Like, at the end of the episode, we have these characters decide, yes, they're going to go through with it. And they think they're kind of taking this, like, triumphant move. But there, it, it doesn't feel that way, though. It doesn't feel that way at all. And I, I don't think it's meant to feel that way. I don't think that the creators of the show want us to be excited about this. Mm-hmm. To me, the framing of the episode makes it kind of feel like they're making a terrible mistake. Yeah. Which they are. So that's good. Yeah. So then halfway through the episode, um, in the therapist's office, we have a flip. Mm-hmm. So essentially, Will gives Grace like his big romantic pitch idea as to how this is going to work. And she starts crying, going, I want to have a baby with you. And he's like, oh, my God, you just talked me out of it. Right. So now we're on opposite sides. Right. Which is like classic Will and Grace. Yeah. But, I mean, it also kind of makes sense for them to explore both sides of the thing. Mm -hmm. They're doing it in a kind of comedic way. Yeah. But essentially then Will is like, you're right. I haven't had a serious relationship in a long time. Mm -hmm. And maybe I have stopped trying. And, you know, maybe this isn't like the thing. Well, and here's the thing about them coming out from this defeatist position, like... It's, it's not that Will and Grace wouldn't be good parents, but I don't think they're in a place in their life where they're really ready for having kids because of that defeatist position. You know? Right. It's not like, it's not like they have decided, oh, I don't want the traditional husband and husband and wife and husband situation, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to have a kid. It, they've decided they're never going to get that. They're going to have to settle for this. Exactly. And I think that... The whole thing kind of, not to keep bringing up Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because I know I bring it up a lot, but the whole thing kind of just rang very much of, like, settle for me. Yes. Like, it's it's very much so, like, Grace literally says, like, Will is supposed to be her backup sperm. Like, he's not supposed to have a baby with another straight woman, but, like, mm-hmm. he, he could, you know, have a partner and right. whatever. But, like, they aren't supposed to be planning this right now. This is supposed right. to be a in case of emergency, break testicles sort of situation. <laughs> Please don't break Will's testicles. <laughs> break no one's testicles. Yeah, so I think you're right. This this very, like, sort of, like, like defeated and down and, yep, we're embracing plan B because we have no other options. Right. 
Now, it's not a way to bring a kid into the world. Well, like, and as someone who has a very will and grace relationship with someone, it's me. It's you. It's I'm Tess. the I'm the I'm the Grace. Wait, this is a plot twist. Okay, it's not Tess. <gasps> Shocking. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, it's Tess. But like, I know enough about our relationship to know that we wouldn't be good co-parents. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Will and Grace should know that too. Or at the very least, that going into this therapist like meeting would have helped to illuminate some of that stuff. Yeah, like I. Like, I mean, the thing is, the two of us are very, very similar people. Uh-huh. But we also had very, very different upbringings. And, and we have, so did Will and Grace. Yeah, and we have very, like, Will's very waspy, and Grace's family is loud and Jewish. Right. And, and they worry aloud about everything. Like, I understand that the point of a sitcom is that characters get into fights and arguments. Like, I get that. Mm-hmm. But, like, look back at the last four years of Will and Grace. These people are literally getting into arguments Every week or every two weeks. Uh-huh. Like, that's not a stable enough environment for a kid. Like, they disagree they, on a lot of fundamental principles. And a lot of those disagreements have resulted in, like, drastic moves. Like, in and out of uh-huh. apartments and in and out yes. of different parts of the city. Like, I I think Will and Grace could raise a kid together if they raised that kid like two divorced parents. Right. You know? Yeah. But I, Like, I, this is your week you have custody right. or whatever. I just can't see them creating a unified family unit because yeah. they don't agree on what that, their family should look like. Right. That's the thing is I think that if you're going to co-parent a child together, the two of you need to have a pretty unified idea as mm-hmm. to what that will look like. And I don't think they've had that conversation. And I don't think they even know they have to have that conversation. Yes, I think that's the thing is they're they're so caught up in like the potential of like a pregnancy and a baby mm-hmm. that they haven't like considered that there will then be a child. Right. And then they will have to take care of that child and agree on how to take care of that yes. child. And learn to, to deal with disagreements about how to take care of that child. Mm-hmm. They can't deal with disagreements about who bought the soap last. Right. Like They can't deal with like disagreements over like something Jack does. Right. Jack is way easier than a baby. I know it doesn't seem like Jack's easier than a baby. But Jack can walk and talk and feed himself. Yeah. Babies can't do that. Although Jack can also get STDs. That is a problem. That is a problem. But you it's his problem. You don't normally have to worry about that with babies. No, not normally. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm Boss Baby, though. Oh, my God. Alec Baldwin's Boss Baby definitely seems like he has, like, the herp. Baby was born with, like, <laughs> ocular herpes or something. That would actually explain how the Boss Baby happened. If you have a baby that somehow magically has herpes, it becomes a Boss Baby. It wears a suit. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I think part of me was frustrated with this episode because where we're at now, and I mean, granted, this show is a sitcom, so we have no idea exactly how old Will and Grace are. And the timeline fluctuates wildly. Like this is episode, this is season four, but suddenly we're supposed to understand that Will and Michael have been broken up for five years. Yeah, I don't fucking know. I don't know how that math, math. Well, because they broke up before the pilot, but, but like, let's not go into it. Nobody really knows exactly how, whatever. Not important. But I just mean, and like Will is somewhere between 33 and 35. But we don't really know. We don't know. really know. Um, but, like, it's just, it's kind of frustrating that, so Matthew is 28 and I am 27 and we've had this conversation. Right. Like, several it's times. It's weird that they haven't really talked about this. Right. And I mean, like, we have lived together for about as long as they have lived together now. Mm-hmm. We started doing this podcast, like, after we lived together for about six months. Mm-hmm. And we have continued to live together through two apartments now. Like, right. I just, it's frustrating to me that... I understand they're, they're television characters and conflict is where, like, the comedy comes mm-hmm. from. But how the fuck, if you're considering each other the backup plan for, like, reproduction, have you not had a conversation about, like, if we're going to do this, how are we going to do this? Right. Like, you just literally the logistics of it have are not ever discussed. 
Yeah. Like, you gotta have some baby logistics. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, like, I feel like we've we've kind of had that conversation. And right. And we've agreed and that, like... It wasn't a long conversation, because I think we very quickly agreed that we, we wouldn't just, do that. We would have very different parenting styles, and mm-hmm. that would not work in a co-parent situation. Right. Like... Frankly, we have enough problems because we're both trying to parent the other one, and that's not working. I'm a very good mother. I'm a very good mother, too. (laughs) But yeah, like, I just mean, like, we're enough up in each other's business that, like, if we had, like, a shared... We can barely have a shared responsibility of Matthew's cat sometimes. On the other hand, it would be sort of nice to mess up a brand new human instead of messing up each other. No, that's a bad plan. (laughs) You're getting brought in by the heteronormativity lie. Ah, the heteronormativity lie, classic. Like, that's another thing I kind of want to talk about is the idea that, like, Will, I understand the gay adoption sort of iffy at this point in time, but Will literally won't consider any other option than having a baby with Grace. He's not just like, I'm going to have a baby and I don't care who knows it and I don't care how I do it. Like, because there are single parents who adopt. Like, he isn't in a couple. He probably might have actually had better luck at this time period trying yeah. to adopt as a single man versus a gay man in a couple. That's true. On the other hand, I do kind of, respect that Will and Grace have at least had enough of the conversation that they don't want to be single parents. Right. You know, like, they value, like, the support that another partner can provide. But right. they don't value it enough to, like, wait for, like, an actual supportive partner. Right. And, I mean, I think that's the thing that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. It's like, okay, so you're willing to do this, but, like, what does that mean for you? Like, are you going to live together for 18 mm-hmm. years? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge commitment. I mean, right. Like, are you committing to that? Is... They've talked about walking out of each other's apartments and lives, like, at least... This season, even. Like, yeah. So. So that's not going to work for a baby. Like, what's the plan, guys? Like, what? I I just, I'm very confused by this. Mm-hmm. And I was confused the first time I watched it. I was confused the second time I watched it. I just, it seems to me that they are going, they're flying blind. They have yeah. no plan whatsoever. And, like, based on the title of the next episode, we know they're going to try and go for a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like, right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, like, good luck, but, like... Yeah, it's just... No. I mean, the one silver lining is that we know from both knowing the plot of the finale and knowing the plot of the revival that it doesn't happen. That they yes. don't have a kid. They don't have a kid They decide against it. They move on. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about what's going to happen to them in the interim. I mean, so many of these finales have ended with Will and Grace being... Um, Completely on two different pages. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, one of them ends with them deciding to basically break up and move out of the apartment. Mm-hmm. The next one ends with Will making an impulsive decision to fly to the Caribbean. Yeah. And, like, so far the best case scenario is that they decide to take the summer apart so that Grace can stay in her failing relationship. Right. And Will can hook up with some Moroccan guy. Right. And, I mean, even the end of the revival season has Will and Grace's parents challenging their relationship and mm-hmm. calling it, like, weird. Mm-hmm. And, like, that implying that they are somehow unhappy. So, yeah. like, if that is a consistent, like, once-a-year realization that they are having, they should not be embarking upon parenthood together. They should also get a better therapist because clearly oh it's God. not helping. Okay, so I am a person who is in therapy. And, like, you want a therapist who is supportive. But if your therapist is completely unwilling to challenge you at any point, point in time if like a therapist watches you completely flip your argument in the middle of it they should really be like i want you to consider that right and the fact that this therapist literally says no words concerns me it's a sitcom trope but it's a bad one yeah that's my piece on therapy all right wow that was exhausting i'm tired and we've got another episode to watch 
And it's so, a double episode. <laughs> so next week is going to be our finale episode. Yay! Uh, we're going to power through the hour-long finale, and we're going to come here and talk to you guys about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I don't think we've decided yet whether we're going to have a bonus episode this time around. I don't think we have. We'll let you know next week. Yeah. We're both kind of tired, so it's possible we won't. Yeah, I guess I'd be more inclined to have a, a bonus start-off episode for season maybe. five, maybe. Like a, let's look back at seasons one through four, compare them to Revival, but uh, but as kind of a kickoff. Yeah. So let's think about that. That's a good idea. We will have get some back to you. thinky thoughts and let you know. Yeah. Um, well, until then, Tess, if anyone wants to give us any feedback on our thinky thoughts, where should they go? All right. If you want to share some thinky thoughts with us, you can find us on Twitter. That's our main social media. We are at Not A Couple Show. You can also send us an email. Our email address is notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. But you can also find us on Tumblr and Facebook and our shows on iTunes and Podbean. And you can find us and let us know your thoughts. Yeah. We want to hear them. We want to hear from you. Tell the loyal us. viewers at home. Yay! <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to us. We will be back next week with an extra long episode of Not a Couple. All right, cool. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye bye. This episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Eliza, are you an outdoor cat now? This episode was sponsored by absolutely zero babies. There were no babies involved in the sponsorship of this episode.